Abusers will use anything and everything they can to make their partner feel that they couldn't make it in the world without them, that nobody would care or help or worse. People might further abuse them as if they're safest with the abuser they know. Welcome to the Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome in. It's been a really difficult couple of years, hasn't it, Cindy? It really has, for so many reasons. And today we're going to focus on one of them, which is the state of domestic violence during the pandemic. Yeah, as you might guess... Since the outbreak of COVID-19, all types of violence against women and girls, especially domestic violence, has gotten much more common. Which is hard to believe because sexual harassment and other forms of violence against women happens all the time, on the street, at work, in public places, and online. That's just a fact. Coming home to violence is also an all too common and serious threat for a lot of women. Intimate partner violence, otherwise known as domestic violence, happens in a lot of relationships, far too many. It can happen in any type of intimate relationship. Since the pandemic, violence against women, especially domestic violence, has intensified. Before the pandemic, 243 million women and girls from ages 15 to 49 experienced sexual and or physical violence by an intimate partner in one year. That is an alarmingly high number. And around the world, believe it or not, one in three women experienced physical or sexual violence. And most of it is by an intimate partner. And I think it's important to talk about the fact that people often have a hard time understanding why women stay in abusive even violent relationships. But again, believe it or not, it's hard for a lot of people, women especially, to realize that they're in an abusive relationship. Right, Cindy, we know that because we're psychologists (laughs) and we sometimes see these women and sometimes men who are being abused. We see them in therapy. For one thing, the abuse often starts slowly and subtly. The abuser might start by using some hurtful words or name calling when they get angry. And it just seems like, oh, he was angrier than usual, but it's kind of normal. And then, you know, they find ways to justify their abuse, usually by blaming the other person. And the other person is usually a sensitive person who looks at that and thinks, yeah, maybe they did something. And an imbalance of power grows and the abuser can become more and more intimidating, controlling, or threatening in their behavior. This can be emotional, sexual, or physical, and includes threats, not just actions. The abused person feels the pain, but might question their perceptions because maybe because there was no action. Or they're being gaslighted, you know, where the abuser is basically saying, no, that's not what's happening here. 
Right. And, and, and the person on the receiving end of the abuse doesn't know what to think. They're confused. They're disoriented. And a lot of times they'd rather that it were their own fault because then, you know, they could do something about it. They could behave better, accommodate their partner better, do something to prevent it from happening again. And unfortunately, many of these women are dependent financially or they have young children or both. I mean, there's a lot of things that they have to think about. And they're always trying to be better. And then to complicate things, there's usually a pattern wherein the abusive partner becomes upset or angry and they lash out in one of these ways, but then they feel badly and they apologize, even with gifts and flowers, sometimes tears, promises that it'll never happen again. Right. But it almost always does. Yep. And usually it gets even more violent and possibly more frequent over time. The insults, the cursing, the controlling, intrusive, sometimes paranoid and accusatory behaviors. You know, once somebody starts behaving like that, they start to justify it. And that makes it more likely that it will happen again. Right, Julie. We know that people who tend to abuse are often suspicious and jealous. They act hurt if you want to go out with friends. They sometimes prevent their partners from associating even with coworkers or family or even with medical professionals. Yeah, they isolate them. It's easier to see the abuse if you're being threatened by violence with a weapon or physical attack or something like that. But even then, believe it or not, it's not always clear to the person being attacked that they're being abused. They make excuses. Oh, he was drunk or he was under so much stress or he's lost control this time, but he doesn't lose control usually. And then on top of that, the abuser blaming their partner for their violent behavior or telling them that they deserved it. And in general, many women feel that responsibility or they actually do feel like they deserve it because they have low self-esteem. And, you know, it's it's such a complicated situation. Even being forced to have sex or engage in sexual acts against your will is abusive. But so many women think that's normal. That's so true, Cindy. Like they have an obligation. And when self-esteem has been chipped away at slowly for so long, they might believe it, or they might at least question their own feelings and perceptions. And they often love the person who's abusing them. And when they break down with regret after a bout of abuse, they want so badly to forgive and believe them. And they often do. Right. Life is easier if they can believe them because maybe it won't ever happen again. But, you know, at the core, a lot of women believe they're at least partially to blame. And the abuser reinforces these ideas, like we're saying. Abusers, unfortunately, rarely take responsibility for what they do. And sometimes they take no responsibility. This gets so-called proven, too. When partners get tired of the abuse and push back, maybe they yell or scream at the abuser or even push or hit them during an argument. And then the abuser can act like they're the victim. Right. This becomes evidence, even when it was self-defense, which mostly it is. But the evidence gets used against them by the abuser and, and maybe even by the person on the receiving end because they feel like they're at fault, too. They got physically abusive or they got violent, too, in response. And so then they feel like it is their fault. Yeah, I See so many women who say things like, you know, oh, well, I, I hit him, you know. Right, exactly. 
And of course, the abuser highlights these things as much as possible to manipulate their partner and others into believing that the other person is the abusive one. And sometimes the extent of the abuse doesn't really hit home until someone is very badly hurt or has bruises that they need to cover to go into public or when the children or the pets are victimized. People don't always realize that even if the children are spared direct abuse, growing up in a household where abuse takes place and witnessing it is also really harmful in a lifelong way. Absolutely. Children who grow up in abusive homes often have lots of shame and very little self-esteem. As they grow, they're more likely to be abused and have emotional and behavioral problems. And as adults, they're more likely to become abusers themselves or to think abuse is a normal part of relationships. Yeah, think about how uh, distorted that is. Abusive people often only show abusive behavior with their partner because they're concerned about how others will see them. And they use this to prove it's the partner's fault. They say they only act that way because the partner makes them do it. It's even worse when they're charming and stable to everyone else. The abused person can be afraid that no one will believe her because he's such a great guy. He knows how to come across like that. Yeah. And then if you're in any type of hidden relationship, such as a gay relationship in which you're not out to others or a relationship with someone who's married or who holds other power over you, you might also be experiencing other kinds of domestic violence. For example, when the partner threatens to tell friends or family, colleagues or community members about your sexual orientation or something else about you and you feel trapped because of the threat. Right, partners get scared into believing that nobody will help them or that they will somehow get into some worse type of trouble or ruin the relationship in some way. It can feel very, very helpless. Another thing that came up through the pandemic, and I'm sure it's not just the pandemic, immigrants are often afraid of the possibility of deportation, though it's important to know United States laws do guarantee protection from domestic abuse, regardless of immigrant status. Free or low cost resources are available, including lawyers, shelters, and medical care for abused immigrants and their children. I would just be careful about this because our system isn't so kind and has abuses of immigrants built in sometimes, but reaching out to women's resources can be a safe first step, I think. Hopefully. If you're in a same-sex relationship, you might be less likely to seek help after an assault if you don't want to disclose your sexual orientation or you fear that there will be a prejudiced response instead of help. Abusers will use anything and everything they can to make their partner feel that they couldn't make it in the world without them, that nobody would care or help or worse. People might further abuse them as if they're safest with the abuser they know. Right, rather than risking something worse. If you're an older woman, you may face challenges related to your age and the length of your relationship. You may have grown up in a time when domestic violence was never discussed and it could feel shameful to divulge it. You or your partner may have health problems that increase your dependency or your sense of responsibility. Domestic violence or intimate partner violence can cause people to develop symptoms that resemble personality disorders and increases the risk of other mental health issues like anxiety, depression, or post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. 
The longer someone stays in an abusive relationship, the more physical and emotional damage is likely to occur. And the more it can feel to the victim like she deserves the abuse and the easier it is for the abuser to blame her. That little pattern gets locked in. And because she's having PTSD symptoms, the abuser can use her behavior to make it look like she holds all the responsibility for the abuse. It takes people a long time to recover after this kind of relationship. And they feel so vulnerable, scared, and insignificant for a long time. They doubt their perceptions and abilities, or even that they can make it without the abusive partner because they've been told for so long that they wouldn't be able to. And, you know, they have a lot of shame when they finally break away from the person because people are always saying, why didn't you leave him earlier? Why didn't you get away from him sooner? And it's very hard to explain the answer to that. And so this poor woman who's already been abused feels shamed. Also, because it's such a destabilizing kind of relationship, an abusive one, the person's reality is questioned over and over again. Could this be true? Is this really happening to me? And this can be really immobilizing and it makes it hard going forward for them to trust anyone, even people who want to help them, but even themselves, it's hard to trust themselves. And this is anytime, anywhere. But during the pandemic, a lot of factors created conditions for the domestic abuse to intensify, which it has. Right. People, mostly women, were stuck in isolation with their abusers. Plus, there are more financial and health worries, fewer people in usually populated public places, and fewer people like coworkers or health professionals to reach out to or who might notice something and ask about it. COVID has also strained a lot of the usual services that these women could access, such as health services and shelters. Women experiencing domestic violence, especially during these times, need to have support. They need to have access to health and social services to help them navigate their lives after their typically harrowing experiences. But they're usually in a really weak position and unable to access services even when they are there. UN Women the division of the United Nations that's dedicated to gender equality calls the growing violence against women during COVID-19, the shadow pandemic. That makes sense because you don't hear much about it, but it's really increased tremendously. It is a pandemic within the pandemic and one not seen because of more people being isolated at home behind closed doors with less access than usual to social support or to anybody else that they could reach out to safely for help. And crying, begging, pleading, pushing back, these really don't have an effect over time. The only way to stop domestic violence is to make a move to get out. The first step is in telling someone else about the abuse, anyone, whoever the person feels comfortable starting with. It could be a friend, a family member, a healthcare provider, or somebody else. It's the only way someone can get the support they really need. And if you're the one someone turns to, there are things to be careful about. They're not always ready to leave, even if they're telling you that they're being abused. In fact, they're usually not ready at all. You may want to help, and you might even show up to help them move or to deal with their abuser, only to have them get back together with that person. You need to be aware that it takes a long time, often, for this person to leave. Yes, it's so important to leave a dangerous situation if and when possible. And if someone comes to you, of course you want them to and you want to help them do it. But these women might need long-term help. Don't give up on them. 
leave the lines open for them to talk to you. You know, sometimes people get mad that they didn't leave when they said they would. Right. Try to be patient. Absolutely. I mean, and that's what we found in our practices. We can try to help people, but until they're ready to do the very scary thing, which is to leave, which can feel scarier than being the recipient of abuse. Sometimes you have to be patient and let them be in charge of it. Sometimes the details are watered down, even when the person is seeking help because they worry that they can't trust whoever they're talking to, to be more open or that they might end up in more danger or that the person they're telling would somehow break up their family. They're scared. They might need the abuser's income and they might be fearful that he could wind up in jail. And then how are they supposed to pay their rent? Or they're afraid that there will be retribution, if not from the abuser, then from one of his family members or his friends. Let's just say leaving an abuser can be dangerous. It really can. So that calling a women's shelter or domestic violence hotline for advice would be an important first step. They have a lot of good suggestions Some suggest having an emergency bag packed in a safe place, ready to go if necessary. Also, the person will need a plan as to where exactly they go and how they get there. This is so complicated, and it's even more complicated when there are children involved, of course. Right. So women's shelters offer a lot of other suggestions for staying safe, including, you know, making such plans, ways to be careful, carrying out the plans, being careful with technology so that the person won't be tracked or found out. Even using a computer somewhere else, someone else's computer or phone is ideal if possible. It's true. I've heard of a situation where a guy used tracking devices in his wife's car and in her handbag just to make sure he knew where, he, where she was all the time. So there is this technological piece to it too. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it sounds like a dramatic spy movie, but this is the reality of life for so many women. And all of us need to remember that no matter what, no matter what, nobody deserves to be abused. Of course not. And just in case you or someone you care about needs to know, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is at 1-800-799-SAFE. That would be 800-799-7233. This hotline should be good for crisis intervention or referrals to resources like women's shelters, and crisis centers that typically provide 24-hour emergency shelter, as well as legal advice, help finding advocates, and other social services. Calling the hotline is free, and it protects the privacy of the caller. Also, if you suspect someone is being abused, don't be afraid to ask them in private. Even if they say no, they'll know you care, and when they feel ready, they might tell you the truth at a later time. That's right, Cindy. It makes a big difference when someone else knows the truth and is willing to be supportive in whatever way the woman needs. Yep. Thanks for listening. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Till next time. Take care.